Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books to you nerds out there. Uh, this is the podcast, the only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they love, which in this case is comic books. I'm one of those two brothers, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other brother. My name's Will Hines. Yeah. Um, this is a special episode because uh, for the first time in a while, we're both on the East Coast, though we're not in the same place. Still. <laughs> we're still doing it remotely. Yeah. Yeah. Our youngest brother's getting married, and so I've come to Connecticut to witness the ceremony. But I don't know if you guys have heard about this pandemic that's happening, but there's a pandemic happening. Because I come from California, one of the most evil states in the Union, I must quarantine for two weeks to make myself good and pure. Yeah, and, and so uh, I probably could sneak around those rules, but as a Connecticut native, I don't want to insult the state government, and so I am doing it right. And uh, I've pulled my son out of uh, daycare for two weeks, and that's mm-hmm. my way of being a good person. You're being a good New Jersey resident and Connecticut resident, yeah. We're respecting the laws of Connecticut by respecting their quarantine, but... um. Anyway, so that's that's why Kevin and I are both East Coast. So you probably have already detected it. I've lost my West Coast swagger, and I'm back mm-hmm. to my East Coast business-like toughness. A benefit, though, will be we're more in sync now, right? Because normally we're, we're, we're trying – I'm trying to guess what you're going to say in three hours. We're in the same time zone, which makes it way easier. Because I only um, respond to things at my time. <laughs> yeah, I recorded – we recorded at the same time. On each yeah. coast. I do it at uh, right. 10 o'clock on the, on the West Coast, and you do it at 10 o'clock on the East Coast. So yep. I'm, I'm done three hours before you. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. Right? Um, no, it's the other way around. I don't know. I think I'm done three hours before you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're filling in the <laughs> gaps, which is impressive for you. Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. I should get more credit. Uh, um, I mean, I'm pretty good, too. I, I feel like no one can tell that I'm recording to silence. We're both good. Um, this episode, so we're doing <laughs> this. I mean, I don't know which would be harder. They would both be very hard to do. Yours would be easier if you took many, many takes. <laughs> yeah, I would have easier time making it work, but it might require more time to, yeah. to get that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we're talking about Sandman this season. Uh, yeah, the DC Vertigo comic book by Neil Gaiman. Uh, about the uh, endless creature known as Dream or Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title of the book is Sandman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the master of all dreams and stories. And Neil Gaiman created a 75-issue series that has stood the test of time. Everyone loves it. We're mm-hmm. here to say we also are among those people who love it. And now we're <laughs> going into details about why. Yep. As always, and, uh, we've picked a comic widely loved yeah, we're, well, this is the opposite of a hot take podcast. We're picking yeah, yeah. something universally acclaimed and saying mm-hmm. we also like it. Um, this would be like doing a podcast about how good the Beatles are. <laughs> yeah, who would do something dumb like that? <laughs> um, why do podcasts that people are going to argue with? Like, I no. say, look at whatever's number one for a long time and to be like, let's do something in favor of that. I mean, yeah. This is kind of the most mainstream thing you or I have ever done. Like the rest of our life is insane. Like we do improv comedy, which zero people like. Mm-hmm. It's the butt of every, the joke of every sitcom. Yep. And even the people who do like it go on Twitter and just say how much they hate it all the time. Yeah. So um, except for you, except for you and me, we just are silent. We just remain silent like cowards. Yeah. And 
So but uh, I'm no was, coward. <laughs> but um, talking about Sandman comics is like uh, that's a, that's a real mainstream move for us. Yeah. Uh, and so we are on to issue, we were going to do issue 22, but we've, we've expanded that to discuss issues 21 and 22 at a slightly faster clip as our plan That's today. Right. I, I got confused. I, I didn't know what issue number I meant. And the one I, I've been saying 22 all along, but I, but I meant 21. And so we're going to just do both of them. Yeah. Uh, uh and you it's emailed me issue 22, I think last episode was the first episode where you sort of started realizing that you might have said the wrong one because we got into an <laughs> argument about which one it was i was like this yeah. email you have that sent me was 22 you're like it must be 22 then yeah um and it was 21 so we're gonna do 21 and 22 which are both good issues they're both great yeah and uh, they're the first two chapters of an arc called season of mists and uh it's just a, it's a really fun story and Although I love every single issue of this series, I think this is the first great arc. You know, Doll's House is wonderful, but I think Season of Mist is more fluid and it flows more easily. And it just stuck in my brain. Like for years and years, I would just remember this and the things that happened in it more than the stuff that came before. There's nothing. Is there anything big since the last time? Last time we talked was a mo- we were uh, we were Calliope. Uh, doing it. It was Calliope, and it was a bunch of like done in one stories. No, nothing. There's no great. like status quo shifting since we've last talked. No. Really? No. Okay. So we can um, just get into this. Well, we can just get no. Let's do it. Okay. Issue twenty one, season of mists. Um, yeah. So issue one is in the in the collection I have, which is the thirtieth anniversary edition. It's labeled the prologue, episode zero. Yep. Um. And. So the the big thing that happens in this issue is we meet in great detail the siblings of the Sandman, and we find out that he belongs to a family called the Endless, and they each have domain over a different aspect of reality. And they've been mentioned and referred to in, in previous issues, and we met Death, who's one of the siblings, but now the family is sort of laid out specifically, and we see them all except for one. And it feels it's it's very neat, but it's also kind of it feels almost arbitrary that all their names begin with D. Yeah, all their names begin with D, and it does not seem to be like a logical breakdown of the aspects of reality. You know, like mm-hmm. there are certain like divisions of things that make sense. Like when you talk about the four elements, and it's earth, wind, fire, and um, water. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that seems to cover everything. And, um, like, I don't know, the 12 Zodiac signs seem to cover things, but (laughs) the seven members of the Endless, or however many there are, seem to be totally arbitrary. It's like, this guy's in charge of dreams. This person's in charge of bulldozers. This guy over here is in (laughs) charge of, uh, you know, happy, happy memories. And this guy over here is in charge of feet or whatever. Yeah. Uh, death and destiny feel like such big epic tent poles of what life is. But then the yeah. other ones sort of feel like more nuanced, sort of just like they yeah. chiseled off their thing. It would be like if you had a bunch of heroes, each named after emotion, and the first one is sadness and then happiness, and then the next one was like, you know, ennui yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Amused. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it kind of it kind of works, and I, yeah. I don't totally know the story of how Neil Gaiman designed it, but 
it feels like it was partly thought about and partly thrown together and then made to work after. Like there's a little bit of an improvised feel like, oh, they'll all start with D, but then you're kind of limited to things that can start with D. And but maybe that limitation is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, So this issue starts. We start with Destiny, uh, who is a, a, a guy who's like covered in a robe. Can't really see his face. I believe Destiny might have been in comics before this. Seems but that might like not it. be true. He seems like a character. He definitely shows up in things since then outside of this book. He's, but uh, he, he carries a big a tome that he is chained to. Yeah, and his motif in the Sandman comics is mazes. He's always like walking around a maze. His home, his domain is a garden, like a hedge maze. And yeah, he contains in his book everything that will happen and everything that uh, has happened before. And he's one of these annoying guys who speaks in riddles, uh, believes in um, or (laughs) exists in, I guess in his case, uh, um, a set timeline. So he's like, well, I'm doing this. Why are you doing this? Because this is what I do at this time. Yeah, he's like the Dr. Manhattan Uh, from Watchmen sort of guy. Yeah. And he'd be a really annoying guy to hang out with. This would be an annoying brother. In the Endless family. He'd be a bummer to go on a road trip with. He'd be like, do you yeah. want to stop? It has already been written. Yeah, but do you? Like, I, do, Are do you we want stopping? To stop? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we kind of learn in this issue, not only do we learn the members of the Endless, but we kind of learn sort of the protocols that exist. Like, they think of themselves as a family. They have affection for each other like family. And they also fight like family. Um, I mean, as far as we know at this point, they are family, right? There's nothing to make us believe that they aren't actual. Oh yeah, just just that they are the like same these, mother. Just that they are like gods or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it's never explained so they, where they come from. They could have all like sprung from the thigh of uh, another god. Not what how a lot of them come from. And I hope it's Howard the Duck. That's what I hope is revealed. <laughs> yeah, Howard the Duck, sort of the the elder god of DC Comics. <laughs> Real twist. Steve Gerber really had one on us. Um, we learned that each of the endless, they have kind of like a home kingdom, and part of their kingdom is what's called a uh, a gallery, and in the gallery are images of all of the other siblings, and they each are allowed to stand in front of the image of their sibling, hold the sigil, they each have a symbol, and summon them, and so Destiny goes into his gallery, and there's these marble, no, there's these paintings of each of the siblings and he summons each of them because he wants That's to hold right. a family meeting. He doesn't want to. It is written that there is a family meeting or whatever. Yeah. Destiny is visited by the three fates, I guess the gray ladies. He calls them. Oh yeah. Right before that, the three, the, the fates, the three ladies who showed up in the Calliope issue and they show up all the time in Sandman. They're basically like Kramer in Seinfeld. Like they come <laughs> kicking the door down and they make a joke or whatever. Yeah. And they eat some of his food. Mm-hmm. They're up to something with Newman, but they basically warn him that something big is coming down. And he checks the book and he's like, you're right. <laughs> and then he calls the meeting of the endless. Yeah. Um, First person he calls is death. Real quick. This issue is drawn by Mike uh, Dringingberg with Malcolm Jones III. These guys seem to do a lot of the in-between stories. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm glad uh, you pointed that out because this is a different penciler for the, for the next issue. The, the next issue is, yeah. Uh, so the yeah, first they call is death. Her picture is very formal, her painting. She's got like a big fancy hat on and a really nice dress. She comes out in jeans and a a black tank top. Right. Um, 
and Destiny is offended at her informal dress, and so she switches to kind of like a... Like a goth uh, prom look, I would say. Yeah, like goth prom, thrift shop. Like the skirt is kind of... It's like a uh, tutu. It's like a yeah. black tutu. Yeah. Yeah. And Destiny is satisfied. Then he calls Dream, who in the painting looks like Napoleon, like or a revolutionary era Hessian. And then when he emerges from the painting, also looks like that. Yeah, he showed up as expected. Yeah. Um, so despite being trapped for 70 years, this guy follows protocol. And he makes a reference to this is the first family meeting since the prodigal announced his intention to leave us. Yeah, and that's the first, eh, might not be the first, but it is a an early mention that there is a missing member of the Endless who we so will meet not to get later. In, not to get into a nonplussed thing, but what does prodigal mean? Okay, i got to be very careful here because the last time I corrected you on a vocabulary word, I was well, wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it, but I... Uh, I think what it makes me think of is the Bible story, the prodigal son. So it's like the favored, beloved okay. child. It always feels like it should be the oldest, but yeah. Destiny's the oldest. I wonder if it also means that, but it's it's either the most beloved one, but also prodigy means like surprisingly talented mm-hmm. at a young age. So it could just be like such so much potential, but I think it means a beloved child. We could look it up. I'm not going to. And I'm couching this with a lot of doubt in case I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, favored makes more sense because it makes very clear in this issue that destiny is the oldest, but then they refer to the missing endless as the yeah, prodigal. They give, it's weird they give them a birth order. I think destiny is the oldest and then death and then dream. Those are the first three. And and delirium is the youngest. And I don't know. Well, I, I think, think desire and uh, despair are twins. I think you told me this, but it sort of fits like when as human beings these concepts would exist for us. Like destiny would exist even before we existed. Right. And then death would exist before we started dreaming. Mm-hmm. The moment you're born, death is a thing that exists. Yeah. But dream like aspirations and hopes and trying to do something is like once you have sort of, once you're sort of sentient, you have that. Right. Um, where some of the other things come later. Like okay, dream yeah. would lead right into, I would assume dream is older than destruction though I don't know that for sure, because I would think once you start to dream, then you might destroy yeah, and I desire mean, yeah. and uh, do all these other things. I'm glad I told you that. My past self sounds smart. Um, he was. He was. He got real dumb at some point. Started taking so, improv classes, <laughs> doing <laughs> podcasts, you know. So then we meet Desire, and Desire is sort of like sort sexy, of androgynous, attractive, but both male and female at the same time. And yeah. we find out that desire is really mean. Like desire is just cutting and biting. And yeah. it's really fun. We realize their personalities. I think, I think I said this two episodes ago, but their personalities are very roughly the opposite of what you would expect for their, for their office, except for destiny. Destiny is a dud, just like you expect, <laughs> but dream is like serious and businesslike, not fanciful. Death yeah. is lively and happy. Desire is not love oriented. She is meanness. He mm-hmm. or she. He, she. Despair, despair is kind of, of warm and empathetic. She fits here, but despair over the next. Yeah, she's just kind of a bummer here. She's like a Debbie Downer. But like <laughs> in the future, despair becomes kind of warm and sentimental and sort of loving. Like, like despair, she's the, despair she cries get- when destruction leaves. Despair doesn't even get dressed for this meeting. Yeah, she's just, uh, she can't be bothered, you know. <laughs> um, 
there's actually if they're going in order of birth it looks seems like they're going in order of, uh, of age right yes because a death is called then dream then the twins which is uh despair and desire then destruction but they skip which makes sense if you if you if you desire something you might destroy for it we don't desire. we don't know it's destruction but yeah we don't find out destruction for quite a long time um uh, it's like a big mystery in the Sandman. I remember reading Sandman comics being like, Ooh, I wonder when we're going to find out the missing brother trying to guess what the D would be. And then the, the youngest is delirium. Um, but her painting is of this sweet little kid. And then the manifestation of her is like a crazy punk rock club kid. Yeah. And because she used to be delight and then became delirium. Yes. And Delirium is crazy, and she's like the scariest of the siblings. Like when she talks about the things she does in reality, it's all like she's like a walking Twilight Zone episode, just putting people yeah. in horrible situations left and right. Yeah, her, the first thing was uh, Death asks how she's doing. She says, yesterday I did some really bad stuff. I mean, real bad, you know. But today I did some good things. I don't know, you know? Which is <laughs> so scary right away. Yeah, you're like, okay, great. Um so then, then there's... Um, it's also really nice. Death puts her arm around her, checks in on her. Death is like a really nice big sister to everyone. Yeah, Death is... Uh, Destiny is really the only dud character. Every uh, maybe And maybe that's just because the function of Destiny has to be kind of rigid. But everybody else is really fun. Like the Endless are all just fun personalities. Um, then, then there's five... One, two... I'm sorry. Three pages of just text describing each of the endless. Um, and it, I remember just thinking that was kind of fun. Like my little OCD brain when I was reading Sandman comics kind of liked that it was all laid out with rules and stuff for me to like, know. I always like being given the, a very clear lay of the land in my speculative fiction, you know, like I, I like knowing the four houses of Hogwarts and what they are right away. That kind of stuff. I mean, I love rules. I love rules and restrictions um, because then you can see how uh, you get around those. Brandon Sanderson is one of my favorite fantasy authors and his magic system is always a very clear. This is, yeah. It's not just magic. It's like it works this way. This is the power you have. And it's kind of explained to you very well. It's explained what they understand, what they don't understand. Mm. And then it's all about it all makes sense at the end. When you learn all the rules to his magic, it's all clearly laid out from the beginning. And then when they hit their limitations, it's like, all right, how do they get creative with their magic? Mm-hmm. I to, think that's rare to, for for fantasy people, whatever, it speculative feels, fiction. It feels very rare. I read a lot of books where it's like, and sometimes I love it, uh, uh, Lucifer by Mike Carey, which is a spinoff of this comic book. Like Lucifer sort of has vaguely ill-defined magic abilities. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of amazing to me. I read that comic that I ever didn't go, well, why didn't you just snap his finger? Right, and, yeah. Uh, uh, and, I think. Lord of the Rings is kind of like that. Like the power of the ring seems to be extremely arbitrary. Like, yeah, I mean, it turns people invisible and then seduces people, but what, and then makes them strong, but not, but a drug addict, but not. And it's, I don't get it. Yeah. Wheel of time, which is another big one by Robert Jordan. Similar. It's like, it just feels like, Oh, there's a bunch of spells and it just seems like, why can't you just do anything? Yeah. And I think about it too much when reading it. Um, So I love things that have rules work obviously but yes it's yeah. it's 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 nice when there's strict rules you know i always thought when, game of again, thrones once again will and i are going to fall on the side of lord of the rings being a good fantasy novel. 
But I, I think it's kind of remarkable that it's good because it is it's sprawling. There's subplots that are unnecessary, like Tom Bombadil, mm-hmm. and um, I mean it works. But it it is surprising to me how well it works. I always thought Game of Thrones was better organized than Lord of the Rings, but that's I think seen as more soap opera and Lord of the Rings more literature. But Game of Thrones kind of is set up with a better grid system or whatever. Oh, well, and I haven't read the books for Game of Thrones, but the magic feels more limited in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like there's not there's the magic is like sparse, especially when it first starts and it's like trickles in where Lord of the Rings has wizards right away. <laughs> um so back to the comic. So yes, the yes, endless yes. gather around the table and Destiny's like well, we, I'm have, sure we have a quick like interesting like six three page uh yeah, description of each character. Thing? Oh, you did. I wasn't listening to you. How's that make you feel? It makes me feel real. Okay. Yes. So they gather around the table um, and they're having a chat. And Destiny says uh, that they're having a chat because they were met that that's what was written. Right. Yeah. That's really annoying. Yeah. What is the occasion for calling this meeting? And he's like, this meeting is the occasion. That is all. And yeah. Something important will happen, something that sparks a chain of events, causing much change and upheaval. And what is that occasion? This meeting. So, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Destiny, you jerk. And then so... little ghost orcos come in and serve food. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, and so the siblings hang out, and they begin to kind of, like, needle each other. Um, mm mm-hmm. Dream wants to leave. He's frustrated. Death is like, hang around for a little. What's some lost time? We've got all the time there is. Have a grape. And then Delirium's yeah. like, I lost some time once. It's always in the last place you look for it. Like I like all their dialogue in this scene. Yeah. Right. When Dream says, I will leave now, Destiny just goes, that will not happen yet. <laughs> oh, man, I would, I would punch him. And I'm not um, a violent guy. <laughs> Destiny's got a good joke somewhere. It's coming up. Um... Uh, and then desire sort of, uh, oh, not quite yet. Um, uh, just delirium makes some butterflies and, uh, she, and desire makes them, makes the, makes the butterflies want the flames and they go through the flames and die. And so then death is right there to usher them into the next realm. Yeah. Um, Everything Delirium says in this conversation is terrifying. Um, At one point, she just interjects, I met this little girl, and she said she thought I was pretty. She was so nice, so I did something to her. Something shows she'll always be happy. Always be happy forever and ever and ever. I'm like, oh, my God. What was it, I wonder? Yeah, that sounds like a a torture of some sort. I turned her into a brick or whatever, or like (laughs) locked her into a mental delusion. Um, and then a little bit after that, Desire starts going after Dream, big time. Yeah, she um, she's going after everybody, but Dream is the easiest to needle, and she zeroes in on the fact that he had a girlfriend, and when they broke up, he damned her to hell, which is true. Right. I guess all his relationships have ended badly because she goes, how's your love life? Killed any girlfriends recently or sentenced any more of them to hell? That's rough. That's a rough thing to bring up at a family dinner. Yeah. Um, The story that Desire is referring to was actually told in Sandman comics at the beginning of the previous arc, A Doll's House, 
where the tribe in Africa has a tradition of telling each other a story, well, just the men. And it is the story of Nada, one of their tribe, who falls in love with the Dream King, refuses to become his queen, and gets damned to hell for it. Um, yeah. That's at the beginning of Doll's House, and it's not referred to again until right now. And Dream is supposed to be a protagonist, but I will just say he's wrong in this behavior. Like, it's you cannot sympathize with him. <laughs> well, it is very funny, this discussion that's about to come up, actually. Uh, where he talks to death about it. Yeah, he gets mad about desire for mentioning it. He kind of storms out and death follows to talk to him. And we've seen um, this as a pattern. Death always checks up on Dream and sort of tends to his emotional needs. She sort of seems to check up on everybody. Yes, that's true. But, but uh, it, 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 yeah, Dream likes death. Um, so the big confrontation, they're out here on, a ba- on Des- Destiny's balcony looking out over a bunch of mazes because his realm is mazes. And... He's basically moping and saying it wasn't right that Desire did that. And Death is basically like, no, Desire was right. <laughs> like it was yeah. wrong that you did that. She maybe it, didn't need to needle you about it, but she was right about what she says. And yeah. Dream doesn't like hearing that. Even you turn on me, my sister. Um, and she goes, oh, just shut up and let me finish. You can shout at me afterwards. I know. Her, very- her statement is so reasonable also. It's so funny. Condemning her to an eternity in hell just because she turns you down. That's a really shitty thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's very Sandman to take a supernatural event and speak of it in sort of, I don't know, casual colloquial language. Yeah. um, But she's been, (laughs) I mean, she's been damned to hell for thousands upon thousands of years is what we find out. And just this little nudge. Where Dream talks about it, he's like, well, apparently when I did this thing, it was bad. (laughs) But I guess this Uh, is yet another, before, I guess it's implied that before his imprisonment, he wouldn't care, but now he's softer. And so he realizes he has to go fix this. It's almost like he hasn't thought of it since he's gotten out. Right. The the death basically saying this was wrong. He goes, is this how you feel truly that I have not behaved fittingly that I have been unjust? She goes, yes, very well. Then my course is clear. And he goes to hell. Or he goes to get ready to go to hell more uh, correctly, but he decides to go to hell. Um, and then when uh, death goes back in, she's like, well, should we continue this meeting? And Destiny's like, no, he's returning to hell. It has begun. Which is like, why didn't you just say that to begin with, Destiny? We could have saved a lot of time. And that's the end of the issue. And I think that's a good place for a break. I agree. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Okay, and we're back. Um, Continuing our two-issue episode, we're going on to issue 22. Yeah. Um, So we just met all the endless. Uh, We found Mm -hmm. out that Dream is... This is for people who skipped the first half. 
if you just if you weirdly just came in the middle of this episode yeah if you wait for the break before you start listening to us <laughs> uh we met all the endless dream has decided to go to hell to see if he can free his ex-girlfriend that he sent to hell this is kind of interesting because the issue we just finished and this next issue there's really almost no like action in it there's no like fights or battle it's an it's implied that there's going to be an impending battle between Mm -hmm. dream and lucifer and that dream is very scared but it doesn't happen and it kind of shows what a special comic this is uh, and what a special writer neil gaiman was that like these issues are still really interesting they're just they're not interesting because of action because there really isn't any what was that uh broadway play uh osage county august osage county yeah yeah that's what last issue that's what that issue felt like the endless just meeting and talking the families the family members just fighting about old histories and stuff that's right yeah um (laughs) yeah that's an interesting comparison and this next issue is like little orphan annie because it's a musical and (laughs) morpheus is bald no um this like, is like the first half of Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's I more like a chorus line, which I never saw, but I think chorus line is a bunch of people auditioning for a show, and it's, you just find out each of their individual stories. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, or, and uh, what, I, what I mean by that is <laughs> what we're about to see in this issue that we're going to issue 22, and then to an issue 21 also, it's like, you're just going to meet a bunch of interesting characters. And when you see them and hear their story, that's like, oh, that's a fun idea. And that's that's kind of the main uh, that's the main show here of these two issues. It's just like, oh, uh, an endless named desire. That's interesting. Oh, a character named Destiny who lives in a labyrinth. That's kind of cool for like sci-fi fantasy fan. And this issue, we're going to hell and we're going to see uh hell getting ready for the arrival of lord morpheus and we're going to see lord morpheus saying goodbye to a lot of people in case he dies yeah and in the con- in the run of the comic we've met a lot of these characters in the dreams realm but in the podcast we haven't seen any of them yet so for people yeah. who are just reading the issues with us and haven't read any of the other issues this will be sort of an introduction to a lot of the supporting cast Yes, and I guess the back, the main backstory that's important that we didn't say clearly last issue is, so Dream going to hell is bad news. We, we did say this quickly. I just want to say it again. It's, it's bad news because in the initial seven issues, when Dream escapes and has to go recover his weapons, his helmet is being held by a demon in hell. And so he goes into hell beats a demon in a battle to win his helmet back. And in doing it kind of humiliates Lucifer publicly. And so Lucifer is vowed his revenge. And so Mm -hmm. that is why dream doesn't want to go back. He's scared. Right. Right. Okay. So let's, so let's uh, launch into this. This issue is drawn by Kelly Jones. So it's a different artist is the same artist that drew the Calliope issue we covered. Yeah, this is the Tales from the Crypty. He's really good at creepy stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's great for these torture scenes that this this issue opens on in particular. Yeah, it opens on hell, and we're seeing a lot of, like, really gross demons torturing souls. Yeah, there's, like, sort of a, a, a creature that has a mouth coming out of a brain and also two mouths on its breasts. 
and it's holding a fork with a somebody pierced on it. Um, yeah, and it's and, and then it's eating that person. I think into one of its breast mouths and chewing its arm off. Yeah, in 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 as much detail as you can imagine. And the so that that's some good gross hell imagery. But the mm-hmm. the narration is already starting to Neil Gaimanize our description of hell. Uh, one of them says. It's a, it's got that British sort of remove, like it was not considered a pleasant place by the majority of its inhabitants. <laughs> However, being dead and being there as they imagined against their will, their opinions counted for little. Like that's sort of a very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. kind of ironic say, it sounds like hitchhikers. Yeah. Um, but it also implies a little theme that gets established in this issue, which is like these people actually are here because they want to be tortured. They think they deserve it. They think they are so evil that they would be disappointed if they weren't tortured forever. That's what that's one of the things that is said in this issue. Um, it's it's only hinted at here, but that's said more clearly later. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a good it's a good little uh, establishing page of hell, right? Like it's just good little details. Yes. It's it's uh, it's gross, and since hell is such a big part of this arc, uh, it's great to open the first real chapter, not the prologue with that imagery. We then cut to the dreaming and we see, uh, Lucian, Lucian. Yeah. Lucian. Yeah. Who who is, uh, is he just a librarian? Yes. But he's also sort of, he also feels sort of like, uh, dreams. Kind of a right hand man. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's one of the administrators of the dreaming. And he's like Riker. He is, uh, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, it means something like that to me. And we got to be able to think of another example of a number two. Can't think. There's no other number two other than Riker. Uh, he's like Colbert to John Stewart, kind of back in no, the day. No, I don't. I don't see okay. Lucian. You don't see spinning it? off into his own show and hosting the Late Show. Has Lucian not got his own comic yet? I mean, probably, but uh, and there is dreaming comics. But I think he is. He's he's an ensemble player. <laughs> Um, he is, so we see, he is we see, um, John Spencer to um, Martin Sheen on the West Wing. Okay. Um, we see the library of the Dreaming, which we have mentioned. And I forget if this is the first place that it's explained, but it's really kind of fun. Lucian says he's talking to a raven named Matthew Cable. and Who has a backstory of his Swamp own, Thing. right? Yes. Yeah, he's from Swamp Thing. The, the, a lot of these characters have backstories that I did not realize when I first read the comic. Well, you told me about the Raven being from Swamp Thing, being the character Matthew from Swamp Thing who dies yeah. in Alan Moore's comic, and then, and then Neil Gaiman puts him in the body of a Raven. Yeah, Matthew Cable was like, I forget his exact story, but he was like, he was the husband of Abigail, who becomes the Swamp Thing's wife, and he sort of is a former good guy, becomes bad guy, does evil, and is killed, goes to hell, and but then like sort of somehow he is redeemed and allowed to serve out eternity as a raven in the dreaming because he wasn't all bad. I don't remember how that happened. Yeah. He's a fun character though. But as you were saying, Lucian is describing these books that they have in the library, which are books that were not written, uh, orphaned or never finished except in dreams. Yeah. Every story that has ever been dreamed and like we get a close up of it and it's like love can be murder Raymond Chandler the man who was October GK Chesterton they're also the return of Edwin Drood Charles Dickens the conscience of Sherlock Holmes Arthur Conan Doyle 
so, uh, Smith and Jeeves, PG Woodhouse, which is like, these are all like kind of sequels and sort of, you know, yeah, sequels of like famous authors, main books kind of. Yeah. Like I guess, and it's fun to think like, oh yeah, these are books they thought about doing and never got to do. It's implied they have all the other books too, because there's a Southern Annex that has the complete Poe. Um, but but Lucian's more interested in this this section, which is a cooler section, to be fair. Um, Matthew Cable, the Raven. His his personality is kind of like salt of the earth, blue collar guy. Like the dreaming is full of fanciful characters, and so a lot of them are these highbrow British types where they're like, "We must obey our responsibilities." Mm-hmm. And then there's also like. Matthew and the jack-o'-lantern guy who were like the Merv, who were like the working class Joes who like, they don't go for this highfalutin talk in the dreaming. They like to just do their fanciful duties like working class people. Um, so yeah, we see like a little bit of that. Never was a big reader to be honest. I was more a man of action when I was alive. Anyway, you must be pleased to have the library back. And then he does an impersonation of Poe's Raven. He goes, "Nevermore, good, huh?" That's a that's a Sandman joke, Kevin. There's lots of literature jokes, right? In Sandman. Though he says it's from the Peter Lorre movie, uh, which I believe was the Raven that Roger yeah, Corman made. So he did not know it was an Edgar Allan Poe poem. He thought it was a yeah B level horror movie. Um, then the manifestation of Lord Morpheus appears. Lucian, Matthew, we must talk. I'll be in the great hall. Kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, they step outside and see everybody's sort of racing off. So he has called everybody to speak to them. It's something important. Dream wants to talk to everybody. One of the creatures is some person who wear pantless, wearing a suit jacket, top hat, riding a broom. I don't know. Is that the fashion thing? I don't know who that is. Yeah, I there's some creature called is. the fashion thing that, that wanders around the dreaming, and I um I forget who it is. Gangway amigos says that person, and that's a an interesting introduction to that character. So we uh, see we then, Lord Morpheus on his throne on the splash page. Yeah, uh, we've got like he's got like skull armrests and a candle, uh, like, like some sort of candle back that he leans into, which seems not comfortable at all. Nope. This seems um, as uncomfortable as the uh, the the throne of swords from Game of Thrones, just in a very different way. Yes, it's a real creepy looking place. This looks like um, Jack Skellington's kind of home from uh, um, what's that movie, Kevin? That I that is famous. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, geez, Louise, Will Hines, get it together. Um, yeah, the it's got that kind of most famous movie. In the history of stop motion, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I blew it. Uh, and so Sandman is kind of creepy, and he's basically gathering everybody, and this is what he does throughout this issue. And this is what's weird. Nothing happens in this issue, really. He kind of, I mean, in that he just gathers his friends and says, I'm going to hell to free my ex-girlfriend or to see if I can, mm-hmm. but Lucifer's mad at me, so he might kill me. I might not be back. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, he's basically just packing his bags. There's a really funny sequence on the next page where during this speech to everyone, and this is what I misremembered as being in the previous issue, he says, it has been pointed out to me that I may have acted hastily, mistakenly, wrongly. And the, the whole thing is, 
I sentenced her to torment and imprisonment, never to end, unless one day I stood before her and told her she was forgiven, that she was free. She has been there now 10,000 years. Her name is Nada. It has been pointed out to me that I may have acted hastily, mistakenly, wrongly, (laughs) which is such an understatement and such a funny juxtaposition. She's been there 10,000 years. I maybe made a mistake. (laughs) Talk about toxic male behavior. I mean, this is bad. There's a lot of that, like, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like, understated descriptions of things in Sandman. I mean, really just in humor, period. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of it in Sandman. You yeah, know, I mean, Neil like, Gaiman, it, who co-wrote Good Omens, which is very Hitchhiker's yeah. style. And I think Neverwhere has also got a bit of Hitchhiker's DNA in it. So Neil Gaiman certainly can write that sort of Douglas Adams style humor. Yeah. Kind of like, as Lucifer was... Jamming his pitchfork through the head of a torturer, he thought, I bet you this feels quite unpleasant. Although, who am I to say? I've never asked him. Maybe this man enjoys having a pitchfork driven through his brain. Like, that's the kind of mm-hmm. thing that you'll see in a Sandman comic. Um, so he spends a couple pages, and he's and we, we kind of learn here that he's worried about the operation of the dreaming if he departs. Yeah, well, I guess when, um, in the first seven issues, when he came back to the Dreaming, things were sort of a mess. Everything was sort of chaotic. Um, sorry, can you not hear me? I hear you. Oh, uh, everything was sort of chaotic and a mess. And, you know, every, all his items had been sort of spread around. And he had to sort of fix the first arc was him sort of fixing up everything. So he's like, let's not let that happen again, even if I don't come back. And... Um, there's like these weird little warm personal moments that happen. Like he ends the meeting, tells everyone to go away and Matthew, the Raven sticks around because he's worried about dream. Cheer up. It'll be fine. You'll see. It'll be fine. And dream says, Matthew, I thought I sent you back to Eve's cave when I sent the others away. I didn't go. I wanted to stick around. Do you mind? No. There's a lot of like people being nice little human beings. Um, to each other, which always kind right. of sweet. There's a lot of sweetness in Sandman stories. Uh, and there's still more humor because the Raven says, well, at least you've got the element of surprise on your side. To which Dream <laughs> says, that would not be honorable, Matthew. I have already sent a messenger to the Lord of Hell to let him know that I will be coming. One must do these things properly. And Matthew just goes, smart boss, real smart. <laughs> <laughs> but that gives us an excuse to cut to Lucifer and we see the messenger, which is Cain, the um, first son Yes. Um, Cain of Genesis, of Adam and Eve. Yes, and also of House of either Mysteries or Secrets. I can never remember which one's which. Right, so this is like another thing where when I first read it, I thought like Neil Gaiman was just putting some Bible characters in because that would be like cool or something. Yes. But then it turns out there's a horror title in the 1970s that was like hosted by Cain and Abel. Well, there's two separate ones. There's House of Mysteries and House of Secrets. Each one was like the host of one. One of these characters is designed to look like Len Wein. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know which one. Um, like, uh, uh, and yeah, so they were like the host. They were like the crypt master for those comic books. Um, and I think they were sort of, they had the names Cain and Abel, but I don't think they steered into the biblical stuff until the Sandman comic. Okay. Uh, they In the Dreaming, I believe they live in their house, the, the houses they lived in in those DC comics. Yeah, that was another thing I didn't know when I first read these and I found out. Their personalities are that, like, Abel is this nervous little nice guy pushover and Cain is a jerk. And in the Dreaming, Cain continues to murder Abel over and over and over again. 
and yeah. Eve is also still alive and there's Eve cave and she's this very sweet mother figure who loves both her boys. So Cain is very timid in this issue being that he's in hell surrounded by demons. He's terrified. Yeah. He's uh, being tortured, not tortured, threatened by demons, but he is protected because God put a mark on his forehead uh, as stated in the Bible that said that no one shall harm this man. So no one shall harm the first murderer. Yeah. That ain't fair. That's white privilege. That's not fair. It's white privilege of the highest order. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess it's um, Iraqi privilege because it was in the Garden of Eden by the Tigris and Euphrates River. Yeah, no, they're all drawn white. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with that information. <laughs> okay. But um, yes, so Lucifer hears they're coming. He also says we can't kill Cain. Or a lo- another look at Lucifer. Like he was in an earlier issue that we did not talk about on this podcast. But um, we get a much longer stay with Lucifer in Season of Mists. And he's kind of a David Bowie type, the sort of good-looking, fashionable, uh, thin, sort of poised, gracious man, um, but also super arrogant and threatening. <laughs> yeah, I yeah it's, it's interesting because I've read the entire Lucifer comic. I have such a different beat on him than he has here. Here he's... Yeah. A little more showy than Lucifer comic. He's sort of composed and mm. sort of just like deliberate. And here he's sort of, he's a little showier, a little, well, well, he's coming back. Isn't that wonderful? He's yeah. a little more ostentatious, not looking, but uh, talking and acting and, and personality wise. Yeah. He calms down and mellows out. Even over the course of Sandman, that happens. Sure. Because he's a recurring character throughout the Sandman series. Yeah, I mean, the Lucifer comic doesn't launch until Sandman is over, so it's launching off of his, whatever, his final resting place in this series. Uh, But in this moment, he's very different, and and I have to, like, remind myself that this came first. (laughs) Yeah. Not like, oh, Neil Gaiman Um, doesn't get it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, we see sort of some of the cast of characters around Lucifer. Uh, most prominently is his sort of servant slash girlfriend, Mazikeen, who is a sort of a woman who is beautiful, is kind of half naked all the time, wearing like a leather vest, but also half of her face and head have been ripped off, revealing her skull. I didn't even realize that was Mazikeen, um at all. Yeah. I'm used to her either wearing the mask or in Lucifer, she gets healed and speaks yeah, normally. So, so this is the debut of a character who ends up sticking around Sandman and she's a woman basically with half her face ripped off. And so you can't understand what she says because she has a massive speech impediment because she's missing half of her lips and she worships Lucifer and loves him. And he sort of keeps her around as a quasi girlfriend assistant throughout his time in Sandman. Yeah. It's his Harley Quinn. It's his girl Friday. Yeah. And the, he ends up, I'm just a spoiler. Lucifer in this series quits hell and leaves his job and he doesn't return for the rest of Sandman. And he ends up just getting a job in a nightclub in LA playing piano and Mazikeen comes with him. And on earth, she wears like a mask covering up where her face is missing. Right. And that's where the Lucifer comic starts with him at. Yeah. And the TV um, series, I think, keeps him at the whole time. I think I don't watch that show, but I think that is the beginning and end of his status quo there. Uh, yeah, I think by the end of Season of Mists, he's working at a nightclub in L.A. Um, 
And like, that's kind of the whole, one of the whole big gimmicks of this arc is that we expect a battle between Lucifer and, and Sandman and Morpheus. And it doesn't happen because Lucifer said, you know, I'm sick of being Lucifer. I quit. No one can stop me. I'm just going to stop doing it. And he sort of gives, um, who does he give control of hell to? Morpheus. And then Morpheus has to deal with that. That's sort of the punishment. Yeah, that, that's kind of Lucifer's revenge is yeah. like, you deal with this mess. Um, but that doesn't happen in this issue. We're just kind of introduced to all the characters in this issue. Right. Now we see, um, we cut to a baby. Right before we do that, I want to say Mazikeen's dialogue is always fun to try to figure out because um, she has, it's really hard to read. Like we first see her, she's got a knife around Kane's neck and Kane is saying, ah, Prince Lucifer. And then Mazikeen says, Basically, shut up, scum. Speak when you're spoken to. Get down on your knees. But it's like, It's like kind of written as if it's being yeah. spoken through half I a mouth. I didn't even, I mean, I, I, I figured I could figure it out, and I didn't even try. I There's like, only one dialogue of hers I can't figure out in here. I gave it a pass them, to try to figure it out, and I was like, no, I'm not going to get it, and I didn't, I didn't go for it. There's another little servant of Lucifer here, and when... They're asking what to do with Cain. One of them says, shall we take him out and destroy him now, sire? And Maskeen goes, eat his face. <laughs> but then that's when Lucifer says, oh, we can't do it. He's got a mark on his forehead from God. We're not allowed to touch him. Um, yes. Yeah, so then we uh, basically Lucifer finds out Morpheus is coming and we cut away from that to a baby. Mm-hmm. And this baby is uh, the the child of... Light a hall. Some characters also from the first arc, right? These people yeah, this were also is complicated, in the first arc. but like in the first arc, it is established that the when Lord Morpheus is captured, the mm-hmm. 1970s version of Sandman, the Jack Kirby one, and his wife, Lyda Hall, uh, Hector Hall is the name of the 1970s Sandman, he and Lyda Hall are manipulated by two demons called Brute and Glob to believe that they are still the Sandman, but it's a fictional reality. It's not real. It's like a matrix situation. And they are being kept alive by brute and either brute and gobs evil or by some Sandman power, like the helmet or something. Maybe they're in the dreaming. I don't know. But the point is Lyda gets pregnant during this time. And so she gets pregnant. Um, while she's in the dreaming. And so Lord Morpheus says this baby is his, not like biologically, but that he has dominion over it. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the the father dies. The father dies in the original arc. It's Mm -hmm. revealed that he had died already or something. It was, it was an illusion that he was alive or something. And Sandman ends that illusion, which kills him. So Lyda hates Morpheus. It's, it's honestly so complicated that it's annoying to figure out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's this baby and a dream is coming to see him. See if he's doing okay, I guess. And he like touches his forehead. Lyda recognizes him and is, says, get out of here. I hate you. You killed my husband. Um, and Dream is in kind of his aloof, mean state because he's like, please, I have little enough time as it is, and your son is important. It is unusual for a child to gestate in dreams. It has not happened for so long. A child formed in my realm touches the forehead. 
Um, Elida picks up the baby with all of the mother's fury and says, he's my son. He's nothing to do with you. She's been having trouble naming the baby. That's something we find out before Dream shows up. And right as yes. Dream leaves, he goes, by the by, his name is Daniel. And she accepts that name. She's like, oh, that's a good, you know, she smiles yeah. and goes, Daniel. She looks angry. She looks down at her baby and then smiles and goes, Daniel? Uh, and sort of, it's implied yeah. that, yeah, that's his name. You can't argue with it. And at the end of the series, this baby replaces Lord Morpheus on the, right. in the dreaming. He becomes more the new dream. shows up in the JLA arc. <laughs> that's what's important. Crossover for you Grant Morrison heads. It's one of those things that happens a lot in Sandman. Like throughout the 75 issues, it's always implied there's going to be some showdown between Lyda and Morpheus. Like the mom's going to protect her baby. Sandman shows ownership of the baby. There's going to be some big battle. There's never a battle. He just takes the baby when it's time. Uh, now he's walking through the dreams. He's going to visit somebody else that we've just met on this podcast. He's going to visit Hob. Yeah, he wants to say goodbye to his friend in case he dies. And he does a cool thing that I remember for a long time after I read this issue. He wants to bring a bottle of wine that Hob likes. But the bottle of wine no longer exists on Earth. So he finds an old woman's dream like a very old woman is dreaming of being mm-hmm. in her father's wine cellar. So Lord Morpheus goes into her dream of the wine cellar, finds a dream of this bottle of wine, picks it up and brings that into Hobbes dream. Right. And shares it with Hobb. Uh, it cool. also remains. And it also shows up when he wakes up, Hobb wakes up and it's next to his, it's on his nightstand. That's right. Which is some cool so we get stuff. Another there. little visit with Hobb. Yeah. Then we cut back to hell and Lucifer is flying over hell, holding Cain up by his hair, just carrying him, you know, what looks like thousands yeah. of feet above the surface. Yeah, it doesn't have to, he can't kill him, but can hurt him, I guess, a lot. Yeah. Um, and basically, similar in parallel to how Lord Morpheus made an announcement to everybody in the dreaming that he was going to have a big battle Lucifer makes a big announcement to everybody in hell that Lord Morpheus is coming, and so it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, he goes, this day in hell, this day you shall all remember forever, and so shall he, which makes it seem like it's going to be a huge battle. But it is a very memorable day, the day he quits. Yeah, Lucifer Just not the way he meant. Um, So then we see Cain has returned to the dreaming. He's exhausted and frightened Mm -hmm. and basically says, I gave him your message and we see Lord Morpheus put on his weird, creepy bone helmet and open up a portal and head to hell. And that's how the issue ends. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, he puts on his little, his little Sandman helmet. That's cool. Um, and then so like what happens in the rest of the arc? We're not covering it real quick. Will. What's the what's the um, what's the Cliff Notes version of what comes next? The next issue, Salmon shows up ready for a battle. Lord Morpheus, hell is empty. Lucifer has quit and told everyone to leave. Morpheus is stunned, uh, and the issue is just Lucifer going around and kicking out some of the few remaining people who refuse to leave because they weirdly like being tortured. Mm-hmm. And we see kind of each of their little individual stories, and then. Lucifer asks Sandman to cut off his wings. Sandman does it, slices off Lucifer's wings, and Lucifer's all right, gives him the key to hell, and then walks away. And then the rest of the arc is basically all of these gods show up wanting hell, 
wanting loose, wanting Sandman to give them hell. Um, and it's like there's issues where they're all manipulating for it, and you meet all these like gods. There's an Egyptian god. You see the Thor and Odin. You see the god of order and chaos. Um, and they're all like lobbying. Some one of the lesser demons of hell wants to be promoted to give it. Um, and Morpheus is kind of deciding what to do, and eventually gives it two angels from heaven show up just to monitor the proceedings, and Morpheus gives it to them, which is yeah. their worst nightmare because they never get to go back to heaven. They're trapped in hell running it. And what happens with Nada? He frees Nada. She won't forgive him, and she gets reincarnated as a baby to get a new life. There you go. Um, yeah. And I guess if people are reading along... People reading along, I just ruined it for them. But hopefully they heard when I said, tell me what happens next. They could just stop listening. Uh, uh, but we're not covering those issues, and I can't remember all the details. So that's good to know. I remember the those ending, angels being I remember the angels being put in charge. Uh, and, I never and, remember and, and, the end of Sandman's story. So even though I did ruin the ending, even when I remembered, I never remember the endings. Mm-hmm. It's just the, it's the meeting of the parade of characters that's the main fun. Yeah. The, the final confrontation between Morpheus and Nada... He appears to her, and we learn that whoever views Morpheus, you view him however you imagine him to be. She's an African princess, so she sees him as an African prince wearing similar garb. And he basically says something like, um, 10,000 years ago I put you here, and I just wanted to say I apologize. And she slaps him. That's, I mean, honestly, he got off easy. Uh, yells at him, scolds him, uh, tells him he's a jerk. And um, I think they have a moment of compassion, and then she gets to go back as a baby. Um, yeah, it looks like there's also another issue in the middle that's sort of a, a separate little storyline. I don't, I don't necessarily care what happens that because Matt w- Wagner seems to draw an issue in there. I'm just sort of flipping through. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she forgives art. him. It's a weird thing. Just, just the same way Calliope showed compassion to... Um, the writer who uh, who kidnapped her, um, uh, she kisses Dream on the cheek and says, I accept your apology. And he asks her, if you wish, Nada, you could stay here with me, be my queen. She still says no. I mean, um, that's good. <laughs> and he says, well, we must discuss your future. And the next time we see her, she's a baby being born in a hospital. Um. Well, there you go. That's season. Yeah, that's of season Myth. of Myth. Yeah, and it's like, um, it's one of these sort of, uh, s- some Sandman stories feel external and some feel internal. Is my own personal theory. This is an external one. You meet a lot of characters. You see a lot of like weird realms and learn their names and the rules of them, and I love it. And then there's also Sandman stories that are sort of internal, like a game of you, where it's like somebody's kind of emotional journey through something. Doll's House was closer to that also. Um, uh, I read some theory that said every other big Sandman arc is male and every other one is female. Uh, That doesn't totally work, but it's fun to kind of think about. But this would be Mm -hmm. a male one. It's like dudes puffing out their chests and, you know, fighting to take charge of hell and stuff. Um, any final thoughts on Seasons of Mists or these two issues? 
Well, just that it establishes the endless and the dreaming, and it shows Neil's power that he doesn't need fights and action to make a story compelling. He knows that his characters are interesting enough that just us meeting them and implying that a battle is coming is enough to keep us turning the pages. And it's just like, I mean, anybody who fancies themselves a fiction writer should read Sandman, I think. Um, real quick, the next issue we're covering next week will be Bad Moon Rising. Issue 34, it's in the Game of You collection. Yeah. That's right. Unless we got that issue wrong, number wrong. No, that's, that is right. And um, okay. it is my favorite arc of Sandman, although I really do love every single issue. Uh, Game of You is my favorite one. Um, it's got everything, I think. Horror, fantasy, sweetness, uh, kind of controversial subjects. It's twists and turns. Uh, I, I really think that's love it. the I think that's the arc I couldn't get through as a kid. Yeah, it's 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 pretty dense. There's yeah. a lot of talking. Twelve year old me or whatever age I was uh, when this came out uh, was just like too much. There is a "They Might Be Giant" song in it also, which I loved. Mm-hmm. No, that explains your love of this whole series. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to a game of you. So yeah, and if um, anybody's so been reading any of this. Um, Please, uh, we'll say email us at screwitspidey at gmail. Do you like Sandman? What what stories do you like? I know we're skipping a lot of issues, and I'm sure that's frustrating. But you know, we didn't want to spend 75 episodes on Sandman, even though it deserves it. And what issues do you wish we covered? Uh, what got you into it? What do you love about it? What are you dying for us to say that we're not saying about these issues? Um, and, and as, as always, my favorite emails, if you've never read Sandman before and you're reading it for the first time, what do you think? We would love to hear that. And we've definitely gotten a couple of those. People have never read it before and reading it for the first time. Uh, we've got a bunch of emails that we're sitting on. Um, this is already, this episode's already at like an hour. Yeah. What do you want to do? You want to read some of them, Will? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I'm going to start from the oldest ones. That seems fair. Yep. You are, you are executing your responsibilities. Um, Which admirably. means these will not deal with uh, Sandman almost, or they might not at all. Let's we'll at see. least get through the Batman ones. Um, well, first we have another Benjamin Ordung email. Okay. <laughs> History. I own over 15,000 comics currently in my man cave. I collected from 91 to 2012 my, when my second son was born. Old, new, DC, Marvel. It didn't matter. They're all bagged, bored, and organized in 60-plus long white boxes that I've drawn on and designed to show what is inside. This doesn't include my graphic novels, hero clicks, fancy clothing, and completed card sets. Context. So as mentioned in a previous email, I attended a comic shop opening last year, and the owners were into the monetary value of comics, uh over the fun of reading comics. I've never had a comic that was graded and sealed in plastic, nor do I think I ever will. Is that wrong of me? To that point, I've read every comic that I own. I have gold key comics, war comics, small comics, and old Marvel DC. What I consider my crowning achievement is Amazing Spider-Man number two in very good condition. Uh, As for the rest of the amazing run, I've only missed, I'm only missing Amazing Fantasy 15, Amazing Spider-Man one and three through seven. Otherwise I have them all. Question, wow. is it wrong for me not to seal them in a graded plastic shield? If you got an old comic, would you keep it? Would you read it or keep it protected from the world? I love this question. Kevin, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, I've never come at it from a collector's standpoint. 
Um, I've read every comic I have. Uh, I don't take great care of them. They're bagged, but they're not necessarily in pristine condition. I have some that are definitely worth something, you know, hundreds, not thousands. Uh, if they were in great condition, which mine are just not, I don't, I just don't care. I've, if I love the issue, I've probably read it numerous times. When I first moved to New York and had no friends other than you will, I used to just like pull out stacks of them, unbag them all, put them in a stack next to the couch and just work my way through it and then rebag them all when I was done. Ooh, sounds fun. Um, you know, not everything was collected back then. And so it was just like, that was the only way to reread things was to get out my old issues. Um, that being said, I think if I had like an amazing fantasy 15 or, or, uh, you know, an early, uh, a Ditko Spider-Man then certainly in, a, an early one, I don't know if I'd want it sealed in plastic. I don't know if I care that much, uh, that much, but I would, I, I would want to flip through it at least once and experience that. And then I would want to protect it cause it would be worth too much. It'd be, it would feel foolish if I had something worth like, you know, $10,000 and yeah. I left it loose. But if it was only worth a couple hundred hours, I guess I just don't care. And that may seem crazy to throw away a couple hundred hours, but uh, I don't care. Yeah, I'm like you. I don't, I've never come at this from a collector standpoint. I saved the comics only because I wanted to read them later. Um, I sort of resented the amount of work that it would take to do the collecting. And I mm-hmm. kind of felt I, I didn't like that whole mentality. Uh, comics are for reading. Um, so in general, uh, you know, I'm, I've never thought of it that way. Um, I have saved a precious few old comics just for sentimental reasons. I have Amazing Spider-Man number 33, and it is in terrible condition. But it, I don't care because I'm not doing it to resell it. I That story is important to me, so I like having it. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of the Frank Miller Daredevil issues. Or actually, I have most of those. And uh, what do we do with our John Byrne Fantastic Forest? Do you have those? I, I either have them or have gotten rid of them. There's some things I got rid of and some things I kept and I just don't know. Yeah, like I just want to they're, be able to read them. They're in storage these, if I have know, we them. We live in a time when these comics are available online to reread. And yeah, so I've, I have the I John Burr stuff hold on in collections and digitally and maybe yeah. also those issues. <laughs> yeah, I have trade paperbacks of the John Byrne Fantastic Forest, the stories that I loved when I was a kid. But like, yeah, I, 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 am, I am more of a don't keep stuff guy. I'm like, you can get it again or you don't need it. Now, when you get to the, if you have Amazing Fantasy 15, that's one of the most valuable comic books mm-hmm. in existence. <coughs> Take care of it. Like that is, you have a car, you know, you have like a compact car there. So like that's worth it. And maybe you're Amazing Spider-Man number one. But I don't know, beyond that, I would not make a shrine. That's I'm, just my own personal thing. I would either sell Amazing Fantasy 15 or I would frame it. And I I wouldn't just keep it in a box. If you're framing it, then you'd probably want to just get it sealed in the uh, CGC graded thing or whatever. Because I think that can yeah. still be hung on the wall that way. Uh, and reopened if you really want to. But uh, yeah. Um, if I had access to like every comic ever, I, I think there'd be like five that I would that I would frame. And like, I don't know which, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. want it to be more than that. And everything else I would basically unload. You'd frame uh, Sleepwalker 16. <laughs> Mother Teresa 2. Um, uh, Dakota I, North 5. <laughs> this weirdly reminds me, this is a, a dumb tangent, a very related tangent. Uh, 
this reminds me of a TV show I watched. This que- this question. Mm. Um, it was the new Leave It to Beaver show. Whoa, which I, I think aired on like the Disney Channel, and it starred like the original Beaver cast, but now they have their own kids. Okay, right. So Beaver has his kids, and his older brother has kids, and the annoying guy uh, friend uh, has his kids. I don't know right. any of their names. Um, right. And there's some issue where they find in their attic. Uh, a stack of old comics and in that stack is fantastic Four number one. Okay. And I don't remember the plot of the episode. Like maybe it's like, who does this belong to or what do we do with this? Do we sell it and split the money or whatever it is? But however it, it ends with, uh, uh, the beaver <laughs> taking it to a safety deposit box to like save it. Cause it'll just go up in value. And as yeah. he's putting it into the safety deposit box, he pulls it out of the bag, sits on the floor and reads it. Yeah. Like he just like, oh, I got to read this one time. And I'm like, that's I that's sort of how I would feel about it. I think it's like I got to read it at least once, even though that is yeah. hurting the value. Touching yeah. with like my my oily fingers or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's all. So I think the beaver had it right. Good move, beaver. He's no Eddie Haskell all these years later. Yeah, that's uh, one of the characters. They were all on the show, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, you want to do a few more? Yes. Uh, we read this one already. Um, uh, this is from Matthew Montgomery. Salutations, panty wastes. <laughs> uh, I've been reading along since the Spidey days, and I uh, oh my cat just jumped in front of me. I've been reading along since the Spidey days, and I love how much you guys have expanded my horizons comic wise. I'm currently reading Sandman along with the pod, but decided to begin with issue one. I wasn't Good. quite hooked until issue six, which turned out to be exactly the right kind of horrifying for me. Yeah. This leads me to my question. Do you have any comic recommendations within the horror genre or at least adjacent to it? Thank you. Uh, and P.S. I imagine that you're getting literally hundreds of thousands of emails about Will's turn as Morpheus on CBB. I liked it too. This is from Matthew Montgomery. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Um, um, yeah, I'm not super familiar with tons of horror, but I know that Swamp Thing by Alan Moore has some horrifying stories, and those are really fun, and I might not know too much else. I mean, Old Tales from the Crypt stuff holds up, I think, but yeah, I don't know, that's what I got. Um, the recent imprint that Joe Hill did through DC had some pretty scary stuff. There was a comic called Plunge, uh, and, uh, The Doll, The Dollhouse, hmm. uh, I think it was called The Dollhouse. Uh, the Dollhouse was by Mike Carey. Plunge was by Joe Hill and with art by Stuart Immerman. Uh, those are both really great. There's Basketful Heads, which is more like slasher film, but it's fun. Lock and Key isn't necessarily a horror comic, but it is terrifying. It is scary. Hmm. It is, you know, uh, have you read Lock and Key, Will? No. It's really fun. It's a house where um, there are hidden keys all throughout the house that have special abilities. So like there's a key that if you uh, put it in a doorway uh, and open a door using that key and you go through it, you'll turn into a ghost. Hmm. If you go back through it, you go back into your body. Oh, I love and like it. there's a key you can put into your head and open your head and remove things from your memories. Oh, that's terrifying. And, th- and there's a bunch of those and there's something and there's all these sort of there's history behind it and stuff like that. And there's obviously evil forces that want these keys 
uh, and the adults don't seem to know, like can't remember that these keys exist. Only mm. kids know about it. And so they're discovering it for the first time for themselves because no one told them about it because no one else remembers them. And uh, it's really fun and scary. Um, different than Sandman scary, I would say. And yeah. Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Uh, yes, so. I've read some Joe Hill novels and I really like them. Um, I read Those Nosferatu things jump out in my mind. Horns, and they're really good. Uh, the scariest book I've ever read is House of Leaves. Uh, that book is like 10,000 pages, but it like scared the bejesus out of me. So if you just want to be terrified, that's how I'd do it. Uh, Haunting of Hill House on Netflix spooked me. Yeah, that's a scary show. Uh, they're doing a new season soon. Um, I read the book, and the book is not that scary, although it is weirdly creepy, but not yeah. that scary. Um, the show isn't like scary nonstop, but it's just like moments of like it's ooh. unsettling. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I loved it's a cool it. Cool show. That. Yeah. All right, let's uh, go on. Thank the, you, uh, uh, Matt. I also should say, well, I downloaded an episode of you doing Morpheus on CBB Comedy Bang oh, okay. Bang. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard it, so I listened to the one with you and. Uh, uh, Paul Tompkins? No. Uh, um, Joe Mandy, I think, was the regular guest. Okay. And um, yeah. uh, uh, the, stand-up, the stand-up impressionist um, uh, who does Bernie uh, Sanders. James Adomian. Well, James Adomian was on as uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's like an old one that just happened to be like available in the feed. So I downloaded that one because I'd never heard you do it. It was really funny. That's all. Oh, thanks for listening. You, you took uh, them on a tour to James of the dreaming. Uh, I'll, being next to James Adomian was like so thrilling and intimidating. Thrilling because he's, he's truly this like really mm-hmm. friendly man. And he is one of the funniest people I have ever met. Like I've cried laughing watching him do stand up multiple times. I've never talked to him where I don't laugh. And he's not like a guy who's like always on he's not like joking he just is somehow so smart and silly all the time he's actually remarkably he's one of these guys who remembers your name when you meet him for like two seconds i met him in new york city because he moved to new york for a while and he was doing stuff at ecb and i said oh and uh this was a while ago and i i'd seen him at doing ucb videos which nobody was watching and I was like, oh, you're James Adomian. Hey, my name's Will Hines. Like, oh, hey, Will. Like, that was it. And ever since then, he says hi to me. And he's gotten, like, so famous and successful since then. He's like, hey, Will, what's going on? And I'm like, God, it's like we're friends. And so uh, when I was sitting next to him, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to let him down with my dumb little Morpheus character because he's a genius, you know? You definitely and, break um, during his section where you have not been introduced yet. I can hear you laughing in the background. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't not laugh. He took it's funny thing is like he was deciding whether to do Ventura or another one of his characters up until the last second, like right before Scott pointed, introduced him, Scott pointed at him and Adomian just like mouth Ventura. And he goes and then he's and then he introduces him as Jesse the body and he had taken notes. He used none of his notes. It all went like somewhere else. It was amazing. <laughs> There was like some weird thing where he had been trapped in the plug bag earlier, and then the episode yes. ended with him getting sucked back into the plug bag <laughs> because the dreaming was adjacent to it, which was a very funny and fitting turn. Well, I, I never, I can't listen to all the episodes because I just have things to do. But Ackerman has like this weird encyclopedic memory of everything that happens on the show, so there's always like backstories that I'm not aware of. Yeah, but they they drop enough hints that you can figure it out. 
Um, yeah, so, and man, Scott Ackerman's like, you were in the plug bag trapped. He's like, yeah, I just got out. <laughs> uh, or something, whatever it was. It was very funny. But then obviously your Morpheus character. It was also very fun. You are doing a voice at the beginning. Scott Ackerman comments that you didn't do the voice last time. You, yeah. you That's the only thing you deny. Yeah. Do the whole thing. You're like, right. I'm pretty sure this is how I've always talked, though it goes away by the end of that episode as well. It's very um, funny. Not by the end, like in five sentences. I don't it know why really I tried fun. to do it. Uh, well, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, I wanted to hear the thing everyone's emailing me about. <laughs> uh, well, Comedy Bang Bang fans are like the best and Earwolf fans in general. It's like the world's most generous fan base. When they don't like something, they're sort of just silent on it, which I appreciate. <laughs> I mean, whatever. A- if people don't like something, it's okay. But they, it just so happens that the community is just really cool people. It's also pretty clear that that character was a hit because... You're playing it, and Scott Hackman goes, we just met this character a few weeks ago or something like that. Yeah, so it was yeah, like yeah. A, it wasn't very long. It was like an SNL sketch where it's like, oh, they're doing it yeah, again? It came, yeah. I don't think it was a hit. I think I just want, I was like, oh, I finally have one I can I do know. a second time. The people who followed you to this podcast love it. <laughs> I'm glad. They want you to do this podcast as that character, some of them. So. <laughs> I don't know how to do characters. Um, but let's do two more. Uh, okay. And then if we want to catch up, we might just need to do a short mailbag episode. We'll do a mailbag episode, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Noel Tate, we answered an email from him about Moon Knight at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, guys, thanks for reading my question about Moon Knight and Batman. To answer your question, it seems Ditko did influence some Moon Knight in more recent times with the invention of another one of Moon Knight's personalities. Mr. Knight looks suspiciously like one of Mr. Ditko's characters. And so he posted these two images that I can't send you through Zoom or I don't know how to send them to you. Right. Uh, but yeah, in the recent, more recent versions of Moon Knight, he sometimes dresses in a suit. Uh, so it's like an all white suit with a vest, but like a Moon Knight mask. Okay. Uh, and he does look very similar to Mr. A. Oh, right. Yeah, I can imagine that. That's and cool. So uh, it's unclear whether or not that is. Uh, um, where that, you know, where Warren Ellis, I think was the writer who brought that character in. If that's yeah. where he was inspired by, or it was just a cool look, but I think it's yeah. safe to say that Ditko deserves the credit for Moon Knight and therefore Batman and therefore all of DC comics. I think that is a safe jump. Um, that's, that's a very reasonable thing to assume. Mm-hmm. Let's do one um, more. One more. This is from Luke Prose. Or browse mm-hmm. maybe. Hope you're doing. Uh, his subject is we need more Fias. That's the subject. Okay. Hope you're doing nice. well. I started listening because of Will's appearances on CBB. I was unaware that Morpheus is a comic character. This <laughs> Thank series, God, I must have sounded so creative. Uh, this series on Sandman seems really exciting, and I'll definitely pick up the issues. Also, pl- please feel free to continue the character on CBB. Even if you don't get to be the star of the episode, the dream realm and your specifics always set the others up for killer jokes. Take care, Lucas P. There you go, Will. No, I, I really appreciate that because I actually, that is part of the plan. I'm like, well, even if I'm not, and this is why Bang Bang is good. It's like, well, I, I don't, I'm cool if I'm not the star and the episode is funny. Like if I'm just like part of a good episode, I'm down with that. So, um, and the other characters do tend to have a good time in the dreaming. Yeah, it's also very fun when you start, you're like, you've just fallen asleep. 
And Scott's like, right. that means I'm releasing. Has to be like, oh God, this is all just silence is going <laughs> yeah, on he, on the he, podcast. He talks about how he releases the episodes anyway, and it's just everyone <laughs> sleeping <laughs> on microphones, which is a very funny I love reality. It. I did a Christmas episode as Morpheus where like every other character was also changing reality. I forget like how, like there was like hypnotism and like alternate universes. And I was the, I was going to be a different character, but I was like, I'll be Morpheus so I can make everybody asleep when I come on. Um, Yeah, it's fun. Uh, That's fun. I guess we'll just just turn this podcast into me talking about doing comedy bang bang. Uh, let's do one more. Let's get one that maybe doesn't mention Comedy Bang Bang, uh, though. I, I'm just going in order, so there's no promises there. This is from okay. Nick Wood. Hey there, Milksops. <laughs> uh, I just heard the ending of the first Sandman issue you read. Call me crazy, but I think the reason Dream was happy in the end. So this is referring to the issue where yeah, he death and dream spends the day with death and then smiles broadly at the end and sort of throws sand in the air. Right. Uh, but I think the reason Dream was happy in the end was because he found that death is kind of like going into an eternal dream. He throws mm. up the sand to feed the pigeons because the pigeons are the dead spirits and the sand he's throwing up his dreams for them to enjoy. I, I like that interpretation. I don't think I see it, but I I can see it. And I think it's cool that he found a way to explain that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of that issue is just sort of like you take from that ending what you want to. Yeah. Um, P.S. I'd love to hear more fancy Dan in future episodes. You should do a hypothetical every. You should do a hypothetical every episode where the enforcers replace the main protagonist. <laughs> just a thought. So let's do that just for this issue. We're not going to do that every time, okay? Because uh, I think that changes our podcast too dramatically. Yeah. If so, we're saying the enforcers go to hell so, to so the enforcers free Nada are are put in charge of the dream realm. Okay. They get called to a meeting with the analysts where they're told like, hey, remember uh, your ex-girlfriend, Montana? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you've been in prison for 10,000 years. You should free her. And they're like, yeah. And then they go to the dreaming to prepare. How does it go differently? Well, with the enforcers, Um, the three of them replacing the one character. So this issue would just be the enforcers saying goodbye to all their friends. So they'd be like calling the Green Goblin and like and the big man (laughs) and saying (laughs) we might not come back and like. You know, Patch Stooley, uh, who is the big man, yeah. and Spider-Man, and like letting them all know that they might not come back. They probably also do some rope tricks. Montana does some rope tricks for the people in the dreaming. Cause he, like, yeah, I think Ox gets so sad, he like punches something, and Montana is so scared that his rope starts missing stuff, and Fancy Dan can't even karate chop well anymore because he's so mm-hmm. scared. I mean, probably the meeting with the Endless goes very differently. The way I would sort of see that happening is... You know, Ox takes down Desire the moment she starts mouthing off. Just a punch. Desire's yeah, he out don't cold. Take, he doesn't take that lip. No, no um, way Ox is going to let Desire talk crap about uh, one of their exes. So Desire's out cold. Montana. Montana. Stop scaring people. Oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go, no, you go. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, Montana probably ties up Dream, uh, Destiny rather, um, just because he's like annoyed. Like he, he lassos the book and pulls it away from him. Get your nose out yeah. of the book, bookworm, he says. They're probably friends with death the same way that Dream is friends with death. I think so, so when she has to kill the butterflies, Fancy Dan helps her by karate chopping them in half to yeah. hasten their journey into the realm of the dead. Yeah. Uh, they, they, with Delirium, they probably treat pretty much the same. They probably just humor her. Um, Don't get funny with Delirium, Ox. She'll turn you into a bunch of jelly beans. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, and uh, I think that, that's sort of how it goes. So the endless are sort of shaken by the time. By the time the enforcers leave, the enforcer, the the rest of the endless are happy because the enforcers are so powerful. Um, the enforcers would beat Lucifer. Would try to fight them because he'd think it'd be an easy fight. Well, he but then, he would also want to do it because by beating them, he could probably take charge of all the New York gangs if he took out the enforcers. Yeah, which is always the ultimate goal of any criminal is to run all the New York gangs. Yeah. What they need is leadership. Um, and Lucifer would be like, and I'm a good leader. And he's got a point. Yep. He'd show off his scheduling skills. He's good at planning stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Fancy Dan will karate chop the, the breast creature with teeth for breasts in half. So there's only one breast with teeth, not two breasts with teeth. And then maybe Montana, like, ropes Lucifer down to the ground, humiliating him yeah. so he can't, like, float above it. Once he's roped down to the ground, you know, Fancy Dan karate chops those wings right off, and Lucifer has to quit. Yeah. No choice in that matter. And anybody who mouths off gets a f- knuckle sandwich from Ox. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically how, I mean, same it would be a different comic. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a different vibe. First There'd of all, they would lot- wrap everything up in, like, three issues. There'd be a lot more fighting, too. There'd be a lot less introspection. I don't really see the enforcers going inside themselves too much. Um, but yeah, we've got a ton more emails, Will. Uh, we'll save those for another time. Thanks so much for writing, everybody. And again, if you want to email us, email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screwitcomics. Screwitcomics on both Twitter and Instagram, but our email is screwitspidey at gmail.com. Yeah, and... Um and uh, thanks for getting my brother to finally listen to one of my comedy Bang Bang appearances. This has been good for our relationship. I listened to one other one, but it wasn't a Morpheus no, I, I know. one. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I think I only listened to one, though. I forget what it was. I think maybe I listened to the Montana one. Oh, yeah. Idaho. Yeah. I listened to ones that, goes well. uh, that connect with the seasons that we are covering. <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> oh. Well, I sneezed. Apologize, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Yeah, bye everyone. See you in hell. Screw it, screw it. We're just comics. Hi, this is Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead. For the full month of October, My Neighbors Are Dead is going all in on the Friday the 13th series. And the best part is, we're up in our episodes to twice per week as we talk to all kinds of crazy characters from the world of Camp Crystal Lake, played by tons of amazing guests. Two episodes per week, all month long. Join us for My Neighbors Are Dead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.